Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. It's Holly and Amy and Kristen and welcome to Just Think the podcast. If this is your first time listening, we are so glad that you're here to join us in the conversation. Even though you can't perhaps talk back to where we can hear you right now, we know so many of you are are a part of this conversation and are contacting us after each episode and letting us know your thoughts and feelings. And here's what we know. We're not alone. And today we seek every time we get together, we wanna bring our audience the information that they need to know right now and hopefully give you an action plan of things that you can do to make a difference in the world right now. And today is no different. We are so excited to have with us Matt Connor. You've probably seen in the news, some of you in the last week, the kind of official launch of the National Coalition of Frontline Workers. With Kristen being our resident nurse on the podcast, she (laughs) certainly has represented the frontline workers, even though she doesn't practice as a nurse anymore, but she has been the voice for so many of you nurses. We've had countless doctors, people like Dr. McCullough, um, Dr. Ryan Cole, uh, so many, Dr. James Thorpe on, and we love our doctors too, who are taking a stand and following the actual science. Mm-hmm. But we know the frontline workers, uh, our nurses, the policemen, the firemen, all these people who serve to keep us safe and protect us each and every day. They were the heroes at the beginning of the pandemic. And now they have come under fire for following the actual science. And that is no different. And that we're so excited to have you on as a 17 year veteran of the fire service in Brooklyn, New York. And as someone who is helping lead the way, a trustee of this coalition, we know you guys had um, Dr. Malone uh, speak, I think at your launch and to really give a even stronger voice to your coalition and what you're seeking to do. So Matt, can we start with where you were in 2020, 2021, that what was your personal experience first that led you to this more professional experience? Sure. Thank you very much, Holly, Kristen, uh, and Amy. I appreciate the opportunity to speak here today on behalf of the National Coalition for Frontline Workers, NCFW. And back in March 2020, uh, we were still really, uh, you know, getting into this pandemic. And uh, I was a brand new fire officer in Brooklyn, New York. And, uh, you know, with some experience under my belt, but uh, brand new in my new role as a, um, a leadership in the field, leadership role in the field. And confronted with this, you know, healthcare crisis, and you know what it would mean for, um, you know, my own health, uh, the health of my the members I was uh, in charge of, 
and also, you know, my family, I'm a father and, um, you know, I had, um, you know, responsibility at home and responsibility at work in a very difficult time, like, like many of us, or like all of us did, but, um, being out there on the front line, uh, in terms of, uh, emergency response, you know, you have a, a deeper commitment to the, the general good in the public, um, that in some, sometimes can come in conflict with your, you know, your responsibilities as, as your family. We take on, we take on risk willingly and you know it's something we gladly accept when we take these kinds of jobs but in march of 2020 you know things things get real real fast in this in these kinds of jobs and um you know you, you're coming home and worried about what's going to happen to your family while you're out you know taking care of others and it's it's tough it was it was tough march 2020 was very very tough for families everywhere especially for frontline workers mm -hmm. i can't imagine and so yeah, I, mean, I remember, yeah, I mean, just, I, just to give people some context I and mean, people didn't, um, a lot of people obviously were, you know, told to stay home and just to slow or stop the spread. And, and, um, also, uh, frontline workers were told to show up to work and if you're, you know, if you're sick to take care of yourself, but we need you at work. And that's mm -hmm. what we were told in New York city. And we, as we always do, we did, we did our job. We performed our duties, um, you know, achieved our mission and we showed up and help people no matter what. And that's what we do. And, uh, you know, that's, that comes at a cost though, right? I mean, that's, uh, something that we willingly take. And that's part of, um, I think what happened in contrast to March of 2020, things that have happened since then are not respecting that level of commitment and risk in terms of how we've been treated. And that's, exactly. that's why I'm here today as a trustee of the national coalition of frontline workers to address those needs of the people who deserve better treatment. That's right. And so in March of 2020, you guys are showing up when we don't know as much about this virus. We don't know what the long-term effects of the virus are. There certainly is uh, no, quote, cure that anyone's talking about or no, quote, treatment anyone's talking about. And if they talk about any treatments, they're, they're shadow banned, they're, they're censored. Um, so you guys are walking into, it's, 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 so, it's such a, a great analogy to what you guys do. You're going into, a, for all you know, a house on fire. And you don't know what's going to happen next. And so there's right. great courage. There's so much courage that's required for that and commitment to the call and the role that you serve. And then fast forward to, what was it? When did the mandates come out that in New York that said you guys all had to be vaccinated to show up for your job? Right. So in, in New York City, we worked without uh, a vaccine even available, obviously, um, through the pandemic. And then even once the vaccine, the you know, the vaccine, I'm stopping myself because I actually, just to make this point, uh, I, I don't know, many of people in your audience may, I, I've chosen not to even call this a vaccine. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. agree. 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 <laughs> something to call it something, yeah. you know, that, that could tell you something about what's right. going on. And, you know, and I'm all for personal medical choices and anybody that, any of my coworkers that wanted to, uh, to accept, uh, to consent to this medical intervention, I fully support their choices. I made a different choice and that choice was disrespected in, in ways I can't even count. So uh, we were, you know, this, like I said, we worked through the pandemic. Mo many of us uh, contracted SARS-CoV-2 as uh, through in the line of duty, you know, while we were working without the option of the protection of, uh, of this uh, pharmaceutical. And then, you know, fast forward to October of 2020, we were informed that taking this experimental medication, this EUA experimental medication, uh, was a new condition of our continued employment. 
And we were given nine days to either comply with the public health order or we would be begin the process of termination. Nine. And this just makes my blood boil. It makes my blood, my blood boil. But still, I know. I mean, this is the same thing that was happening, you know, I mean, with my ER colleagues, you know, like I used to work in the emergency room, like it, you're walking in, you don't know who's walking in, you don't know anything about this virus, but you still have to be there. You still have to take care of these people. And you have the whole time right. putting yourself at risk. And then all of a sudden they have this experimental therapy. Also, I think this is something about. that we should, maybe <laughs> want to drop into this right now, but basically, you know, we, because we were out there, we all, most of us, if not all of us contracted SARS-CoV-2 right. in the line of duty and and have the acquired immunity that comes with that. Mm -hmm. So to be told that you have to take a, a medication that one, you don't need, right? Because you already have the, there's, you know, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a scientist. I'm not pretending to be one, but I read scientific, I can read a scientific paper and I can think critically and I can make a decision for myself, my own personal healthcare. <laughs> and I know that I don't one need this medication. And two, that with, as with any medication, there is risk involved in, in deciding to take a medication. And I came to the conclusion that this, this whole thing was all risk and no benefit to me mm -hmm. and to my family. You know, if I take a medication that I don't need and, and get myocarditis, my career is over. I can't provide for my family. Right. Right. And makes for sense. what? Makes sense. It makes sense. You said so. That's what, that's for what, because they said so. That's not good enough. No. And. And like I said, I respect other people's choices. If somebody decided that was a, that for, you know, their own medical history or their own, you know, whatever, they're, they're, it's their decision. It's not my decision. So it's not about um, the, the vaccine, so to speak. It's about people's informed consent, which was never provided. Right. I was never provided a package insert of any of these pharmaceutical project products along with the mandate. I was never advised of the risks involved. I had to find that out for myself, which mm -hmm. is what you do as a critical thinker and someone that take that is part of my job is to take care of my body so I can help others. Right. There you the go. Exercise. And, you know, so this, this was a, you know, one of the things too, to bring it back to family too. I had uh, at the time, uh, my, my wife at the time had, um, she was in, she was serving the military, the New York national guard, and she was training. Uh, preparing for her training and we had a lot of uh, you know decisions to make about our childcare for my daughter coming up when she was preparing to go away and you know what was going on in new york and you know what is what is this going to do to us what is it going to do to our kids and we knew that our choices were going to be limited in, in terms of uh, we had made commitments and we were going to follow through with them to the you know for the greater good for the public and we decided to isolate our daughter from some of those risks by um my parents were uh, kind enough and and loving enough to take on risk to themselves when a lot of people of that age group were really hunkering down and not and choosing to forego seeing their family members, they made a very brave uh, choice and, uh, and, and accepted some risk in, you know, having our daughter in the house um, at a time where, you know, that could have exposed them. So I was coming and going from work and, you know, we were doing CPR and, you know, 10, 15 people a day when this thing was at its height. Right. So, my part of my medical decision, I've heard a lot of people say, and every, like I said, I respect other people's decisions, but I've heard a lot of people say, well, I had to take it. My parents are elderly. Yep. So I decided I didn't, not only did I not have to take it, that I wouldn't take it 
one of the deciding factors was, you know, the, 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 the bill of goods on this thing was that it was going to limit, um, your, you know, your, um, I'm losing my track of my words here, but um, it was going to diminish some of the um, some of your ailments if you became ill, right? Severity, the severity of, of symptoms, yeah. yeah. The severity of symptoms, thank you. And but also that would render you asymptomatic, so you could still carry the virus, but then potentially mm -hmm. spread it. So I said, well, that doesn't make sense to me because I'm going to be coming and going and seeing my parents at risk to them. If I'm sick, I'll stay home. Right. If, I, if I'm sick and I don't know I'm sick, I'm exposing them to risk unnecessarily. Aren't you so, so smart? It doesn't take a genius, does it? I mean, and I'm not saying you're not a genius, but literally, it really does not even take critical thinking. It's no, it also goes to show you people can arrive at different conclusions based on the same evidence, and we should be we should be yep. respectful. But to me, it made absolutely no sense. And I decided that this, you know, this wasn't the right thing for myself and my family. And, and, and also I had at that point already had contracted the virus, you know, SARS-CoV-2. So I already had the natural immunity. I had the acquired immunity. I had antibodies. And it, so I don't know if you want to get into the, I know we have a healthcare worker in the room, so why not get into this, this issue? So I've had, just let me know if I'm all over the place, but you know, at, you, we started in March, 2020, right? So we get sick, we get the antibody response, we have immunity. Then fast forward to October of March twenty uh, October of twenty twenty, and we're mandated to take an experimental medicine that I decide I don't need, or mm -hmm. provide no benefit to me. So at some point, my antibodies, you know, I was monitoring them from you know time to time, and they start to wane, which is normal. And like as I sit before you today, two years later, I have IgG antibody um, back for SARS-CoV two because I was re-exposed at some point probably during the, those, uh, you know, the Delta and Omicron waves, um, you know, based on the timing of those tests. But the point is, I'm a walking case study in natural immunity. Yeah. Acquired immunity, depending on your terminology. So walking case those studies. And I'm out of work for 10 months because I'm somehow considered some sort of leper, some public right. health threat. While I'll add, some people who have been requested reasonable accommodations based on their sincerely held religious beliefs or based on um, you know, requested medical exemptions. Some people have been allowed to work while others have been uh, barred from working based on an arbitrary deadline of uh, submitting paperwork mm -hmm. to, uh, to request those exemptions. So, and then all the while they claim it's an undue hardship to put me back to work, but it's my what? employer. So Wait. none of this makes any sense. How's right. it an so undue I, hardship? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to interrupt, Matt. I'm confused. Well, How is it an undue hardship to put you back to work? Well, Holly, you hit the nail on the head. It's not an undue hardship to put me back to work. <laughs> it's not. But I, I requested a reasonable accommodation based on, um, you know, my personal, which I don't really want to get into. And that's the other thing, too, is that people were forced to, in, with a nine-day window, forced to basically explain their own personal philosophies, their deeply held, sincerely held religious beliefs, and to put it, uh, you know, on paper as a, um, as if it was some sort of job application. Right. To keep your job. For somebody else to re review. Right. To, to review, it's none of their business in the first place. Right. And a lot of people were coerced to do that, and myself included, because if you didn't do that, maybe you're going to lose your job, right? Same thing as, you know, taking an experimental medicine. If you don't take this, you're going to lose your job. You're going to stop paying. You. If you don't, if you don't fill out this, this application, you're going to be barred from working and possibly lose your job. 
And this so, is the treatment that we've received oh. in New York City frontline workers for the last 10 months. And I consider myself lucky because I don't, I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll, I'll stop talking about your questions, but uh, people as such as teachers who teach our children, um, you know, uh, nurses in New York City were hit first mm -hmm. uh, with the teachers and, you know, with these mandates. And most of them, a lot of them either chose, you know, were coerced to, coerced to leave or got fired. Mm -hmm. And I'm still hanging on by a thread trying to navigate this equal opportunity employment process and navigating litigation mm -hmm. to try to get my job back. Um, I'm still I'm still employed, uh, but I'm on an, unpaid, an involuntary unpaid leave. Okay, so, so, I, gonna, so after yeah, the yeah. nine day window, like right. the nine days went by, and then you were put on unpaid leave. Correct. So okay. they don't fire you. They don't fi They don't fire you, but you're fired. And in, in in terms of there's no pay, you're not allowed no to pay. come into work. And you right. didn't choose this, right? You didn't resign. You just said, I can't comply with this. For By the way, everybody, remember, there is a religious exemption law in most states. I think California, West Virginia might be two that don't have a religious exemption law. And then there's medical exemptions that doctors can sign off on. But of course, those doctors are often heavily persecuted. If you even look at childhood vaccines, they're heavily persecuted for signing off on these. When we actually still know, though, and this is where I'm lights my fire, we know there are people who should not be vaccinated with any vaccines. They have issues. They have genetic mutations that do not allow them to methylate the vaccinations properly, which can then cause things like brain damage, paralysis, I mean, crazy stuff. So to, to think that everyone should be able to get the same vaccine is like saying everyone should be able to take Tylenol. And we now know not everybody can take Tylenol either or penicillin or anything. Everybody's not the same. And so you have two, two workarounds on vaccines and yet they were not even acknowledging either of these rights for you. Am I wrong on that, Matt? No, you're 100% correct. So my employer denied my request for reasonable accommodation fairly quickly. Um, there is an appeals process uh, that goes to the overall city government. Um, that's, that process is being exposed as uh, illegal in our ongoing litigation in New York. But that's all, you know, so yeah, it was my 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 reservations and my own interpretation of the science from my own medical decision and my own personal beliefs were completely disregarded over the past 10 months. So the question is, you know, I was asked this question repeatedly. So what are you going to do? Right. Mm -hmm. I was told, um, you know, I was told when this, some, one of these deadlines, these arbitrary deadlines started emerge, you know, started coming closer, you know, you know, this is a foregone, I had a, a coworker tell me, this is a foregone conclusion, you know, that you just have to decide which shot you're going to get. You're not going to win this. Wow. He said, what are you going to do? He goes, what would you do if you had a gun to your head? Mm -hmm. Which shot would you take if you had a gun to your head? Oh my God. So I, told, I told him I'd take the gun. Yes, I'm with you. Take mm. the gun. If somebody threatens you, yeah. you need to defend yourself or you have exactly. the right to at least. Exactly. Well, and this is where you know your rights are gone. This is where you know your rights are being stripped away. That someone yeah. is using the comparison that someone might forcibly put, or you know, in a they're giving you this analogy that perhaps someone could put a gun to your head and you'd have to choose which shot. How crazy! This is the people's mentality, though. This is that's what yes. the majority of people's mentality is. You put the gun to your head. Which shot are you going to take? Like they're just pick your poison, yeah. and that's scary. Yeah, it is. Scary. And also, I think the one thing to remember, just to um, maybe just look at that a little bit differently, Holly, is, you know, the right the rights aren't gone, but the rights need to be asserted. That's mm -hmm. it. The That's wars it. are on the book. Um, people need to assert their rights. And it's it's a hard road because 
there is a gun to our head. Yeah. They stop paying us. They're terminating us. Right. They're segregating you from society. We didn't really get into that, but we can tell, you know, if you want to get into that, I mean, New yeah. York City was, was a very interesting place in the sense that it's been become a dystopian nightmare right before our eyes. And it's a place that I truly love. I truly love and I want it to get back to what it is. But we were segregated in New York City based on this medical mm-hmm. history of either accepting or, or denying this, uh, this particular medical intervention, which is crazy, that this, this is what the city has become. So this key to NYC program was uh, where, you know, these restaurants and uh, businesses were coerced to become part of the, the process of segregation in society. And it really is. Segre- I mean, I couldn't bring my daughter to a museum. I actually worked a, a second job as an educator in a maritime museum. A lot of fi- firefighters, fi- fire service people, you know, it's our schedules like nursing. You know, you're scheduled all over the place. And sometimes you have some gaps where you can, you know, hustle and try to make a little extra money and do something else that you're interested in. So I worked with New York City public school children as a, an educator in a museum. And I was barred from my employment there first. This is back in August of 2020. I'm sorry, 2021. And um, that was where it started for me. And then I was then I couldn't, you know, I couldn't participate in my own community. Not allowed to go to a restaurant. Not allowed to take my daughter to a museum. Then I be, then this whole mandate issue happened at work. So the question is, what are you going to do? I mean, my rights my rights are still there, but I have to assert them. And that's where the you know that's where this you know the National Coalition of Frontline Workers just and we've talked a little bit about my my this crazy year that I've had uh, and many and all of us have had but um, it really it, there comes a point where you have to take a step back and and process all this and say what are you going to do mm-hmm. and how am I going to assert myself and how am I going to assert my rights and there's a lot of really interesting and lively discussion about going on in communities in New York City there is as much as I stand by my, my characterization that it has become a dystopian nightmare, except that people are waking up from it and saying, I got to do something about this. Good. Mm. You know, and whether that's voting with your feet and leaving or whether that's staying and fighting and it's going to be, that's going to be a personal choice. And that's going to be, that may look different for, for different people, but the national coalition of frontline workers is one of the answers to that question. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So maybe we could talk a little bit about, yeah. Um, given, given my personal experience, kind of how I came to this organization, which launched last Thursday in Washington, D.C., and how, you know, resistance and dissent in New York City is um, is getting linked up with with people that feel the same way in other places in a, in a very powerful and important way. That is awesome. Yeah. So aligning with all of this is that, you know, this is turning, you know, what is it? Lemons into lemonade. Well, people you know, are people realizing are that they need to fight for their rights. And, and yeah. I yeah. love hearing that people in New York are waking up yes. by the way, because New York city is one of our favorite places in the world. We used to go once a year, at least for a girl's trip. And we had the, it was just so wonderful. And I just, it makes me so sad. Like I don't ever even want to go back. So I'm hoping <laughs> that it will change so that I can go back one right. day. Right. Right. Well, we're working on it uh, okay. on the ground there for sure. And it, it, it's a special place. It's a place where people from all over the country can come visit. And, and it's just, it's a, it's something that Everybody should, I, I think, should experience at least once. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, yeah. special place. it still is a special place. And part of the reason it's special is because people there have uh, been no stranger to struggle and no stranger to you know, adversity mm-hmm. and transcending those challenges and becoming that special place. That's what makes, that's part of what makes it special. 
Yeah. That's why people come from all over the world there to be to be a nurse, to be a, a fireman, to be a, a law enforcement officer, to be in marketing or, or start a business or be it, you know, go on Broadway and, and get into the arts or theater. It's it is the epicenter of everything that's mm -hmm. everything that's um, makes our culture important to us. Well, New York you know, is art, commerce, everything. Well, New York has historically represented the true melting pot that was supposed to be America, right? It's where the Statue of Liberty said, bring everybody, bring them all, right? And and that was supposed to represent the diversity of our cultures, right? Different beliefs, religions, ethnicities, all coming together and cohabitating. That can only happen when we allow each other to respect our own religious beliefs, respect our own cultural beliefs, right? And what's happening is now it is groupthink Everybody's got to agree on this ideology, this thought process. Everybody's got to conform. That's actually right. anti-New York, if you ask me. That's actually not what New right. York has historically represented. You're 100% right. And it's it's not without challenge and sacrifice, which is, I think, sometimes sometimes that's the hard thing is when you're in the middle of this, you, you have to remember that, you know, sometimes, sometimes we're the ones that have to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're the ones that have to fight. And you can't wait for somebody else to do it. You have to be of action, and you have to you have to you know it's it's tough, but yeah, but sometimes somebody's got to do it, right? right? Somebody has to do it. Nobody's and we do tell everybody, you. don't leave it up to us. Like they need to do it too. Like everybody, you need to have the courage to to do it. That's and that's right. part that's part of what we're we're working on with this coalition because one of the things we realized in New York was the power of transcending um, you know professional silos. You know, we, we put it back in October when the mandate was announced uh, in New York City. You know, we had we put 15 to 20,000 people stood together shoulder to shoulder and marched across the Brooklyn Bridge. It's it's one of the largest labor demonstrations in New York City history that no one knows about. Wow. And that was that started as a conversation between two first responders, two firefighters. About, and with that question, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And that conversation turned into a very large conversation. We're all, we all have access to amazing, powerful tools with um, everything online that we've been sort of forced to uh, wrestle with during the pandemic and during the, you know, the social distancing. But let's let's take those lessons and, and use those to our advantage and organize. Well, Matt, that's what we're trying to do. I'm sorry. Well, Matt, that's what I want to talk about. So this, co this coalition officially launching last Thursday, but we all know. You got many of you have been working together in different scenarios, different groups, trying to get, you know, organized and and and, and truly to fight back because there is power in numbers. But I want right. to remind our listeners really quickly, there's a video that surfaced from Dr. Fauci from 18, 19 years ago, in which someone asks him, it's a call-in show. I want to say it's like one of those governmental, you know, cable TV shows. And uh, so this guy says, uh, Peter Slynn, who's the host, asked Fauci, she's had the flu for 14 days, talking mm -hmm. about the person who wrote in. Should she get a flu shot? And Fauci says, well, no, if she got the flu for 14 days, she's as protected as anybody can be because the best vaccination is to get infected yourself. And we all, that was everybody's line of thinking for years. If you've had the disease, a vaccination was not necessary because you would carry innate God-given antibodies to what you had thought, right? Okay, then fast forward to the CDC coming out last week, acknowledging they have been a complete crap show. And- <laughs> 
And, and I mean, truly just a complete disaster. And they acknowledge it. They're going to do an internal investigation, probably to keep away from an external one, which would show way more than the corruption oh, of yeah. the last two years. But then you, we even got word of this, and we're going to fact check this for our listeners. But apparently 45% of the FDA's funding is now coming from the very organizations, entities, companies they're supposed to regulate, which is a huge conflict of interest. So we now know that they've messed up. They're starting to admit the CDC says, well, there's really no difference between the vaccinated and unvaccinated now. Oh, but still get your vac vaccination, right? Okay, so here we are in this world where more and more people now know it's not true. It's not true. What they've said is not true. But has that changed the mandate on New York City firefighters? To date, it has not. It's something we're working on on the ground. Um, like I said, I'm still out of work. Um, I'm still, uh, we, we are still, so the question is like, you know, in terms of action, right? So I'm speaking out for myself. I'm sticking up for myself. I'm, you know, we've, as we've organized uh, locally uh, to one, have some uh, a seat at the table with uh, political action, right? And then also we're working through the legal system. We're organizing litigation to address some of these things that are, we believe are illegal based on our reading of the law. Mm -hmm. And so these are kinds of things that we've done locally, but now what's happening is, you know, we've, you know, through uh, connecting with other people that are having the same experiences, we've organized as a national coalition. So what, one of the lessons learned in, in the streets of New York City were we're more powerful one in numbers, right? Mm -hmm. And we're more powerful when we realize our common interests and common goals across boundaries. So when you look at the Brooklyn Bridge in, in October of 2021, you saw utility workers that work for private companies, you saw fire, fire service professionals, emergency medical professionals, teachers, children, parents, neighbors, people from all walks of New York City, right? Standing together and saying no together on that issue, that, whatever, that particular issue. So one of the things we're trying to do with the National Coalition of Frontline Workers, we're trying to target three key areas of front, frontline healthcare, nurses, doctors, related personnel, frontline fire and EMS, you know, first responders, and, and frontline law enforcement officers, you know, across, you know, different, different um, employment structures. But we, when you call, 911 in New York City with a medical emergency, you, a police officer is showing up, a firefighter is going to be there, probably your first, your first line of medical care on scene. An EMT or a paramedic is going to show up, you're going to be transported to an emergency room at a, a hospital and be treated by a triage nurse and an ER doctor. And everybody else that goes along with that. So we all work together, even though we work for different people, but we're all working we're used to, we, we, we already do this. We do this in our, in our work. So why not do that to help better represent ourselves to address areas in uh, public policy where our voices are not being heard and, and our, uh, our rights are not being respected. Ooh. So that's what the National Coalition of Frontline Workers is aiming to do. We're trying to organize it across professions as a membership-based organization that also, you know, we're, we're going to be engaged in, non, uh, we're organized as a foundation, but also as a, uh, an organization that can engage in political action. So that is going to give us the flexibility to, one, provide members, 
services that they need and, and, and they have a say in what, what services get developed. So for example, one of those services um, is, you know, a lot of people are experiencing because they've been, you know, on this, on this issue, coerced to take a medication that they may not have wanted to, to take, like any medication has side effects and people are experiencing illnesses that are being, their voices aren't being heard when they go to the doctor in many cases. Mm -hmm. And we're hearing that we're hearing that on the ground. I'm sure you, you may be as okay. well. Um, we're going to represent those frontline workers. We're going to okay. find ways to get them access to the care they need through concierge health and wellness services, where you're not going to be ignored when you're asking for help, whether that's I've got someone for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, well, I think people are going to, people are going to see this is going to grow and we're going to be engaged in, in advocacy for these kinds of services because our members are already saying that they want those services. And right. they, they, so the whole idea is that it's, you know, you know, your voice, you know, your choice and your vote. So if you're a member of this organization, you're going to have, we're going to encourage you to voice your, you know, your position within the organization and you're going to have a say in what happens. And in many, unfortunately, many institutions and organizations, that's just not happening today for whatever reason, but, those things aside, uh, this organization is going to operate that way. So if you are having trouble getting the health care you need, as an, uh, a, whatever, as an example, a law enforcement officer who, who had, um, what, it doesn't even matter, a medical issue that for whatever reason you're not able to find the care that you need. You know, those, those kinds of things are things we're looking into how to, how to set those kinds of services up as a membership benefit. Or, for example, if you're, let's say you do frontline work but don't get paid for it. And don't have representation. Let's say you're a volunteer in your community as a, you know, volunteering at a healthcare clinic or as an auxiliary police officer or as a volunteer firefighter, and you don't have access to something like uh, insurance or something like that. We're, we're going to be developing a suite of membership benefits that uh, is going to be guided by what our members say they need. And so just by, just by listening to people's voices, we're going to fill gaps that are left with, you know, other things that are available or, um, for example, like, you know, somebody might be uh, a union member and have access to some, some of these things like insurance or, uh, you know, uh, healthcare, whereas somebody who volunteers and does the same work may not have access to that. Mm -hmm. So maybe that person decides to join this organization as a means to sort of fill that gap for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, um, you know, maybe a worker feels like, their, their voice isn't being heard. Well, now you can join another organization and that's going to be very keyed in on what you want to happen as an organization. So how do, what does that look like? Or what does that mean, right? Because uh, any, obviously when you're asking somebody to join an organization and asking them for a financial commitment, people, you know, they want to know, you know, what, what, what do I get for, if I outlay an investment, what am I getting in return? So the idea is that the return on investment will be at least five times the, the uh, you know, the, the cost of that investment in terms of what you get for it, uh, just based on like the services provided on the membership side. But I think what separates where what's going to really catch on is that we're going to provide people a political voice that is going to be very empowering. So in many organizations or in many places, um, people may decide that they want to be supported uh, in politics to represent their interests, but they maybe maybe don't feel like their voice is being heard in that realm. So as a membership organization, you know, we, we have the potential to represent, there's over 24 million frontline workers across the country. 
And if we can get people to understand the power of this organization, obviously strength in numbers, right? People sign up and people get involved and start voicing their, their positions within the context of the organization. One of the things that comes along with that is a political voice. So we're going to be in, in the political action side of things, people are going to have access to referendum voting for, for endorsements. So political endorsements in some organizations might happen, you know, amongst the board or something like that. In this organization, it's going to happen by referendum. So you're going to have a direct vote in, in key, uh, you know, we're going to identify key political arenas that needs that, um, you know, are central to the issues that our, our members care about and want to exercise their voice. And then within those geographic region, regions, we're going to encourage people to, to join them, join the membership and express that voice and, and express that through a referendum vote for political endorsement. And so that way, what would happen is the members of the organization are getting to vote on who that candidate would be before the coalition puts their weight behind the candidate. Am I understanding that correctly? Right. Okay. So, right. So this isn't, so those types of, uh, that type of political action isn't going to happen behind closed doors. The people on the board aren't, there's no secret agenda. It, the, the, the agenda is to empower your voice as a frontline worker. That's the agenda. That's it. And instead of some political, we'll pay you, we'll make a donation, you know, we'll, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of thing. It's more right. of who is running on the policies that matter most to our frontline workers. Right. Right. And that's, um, and that's what we're trying to identify. Yeah. Yeah. Can, I just want to ask a question because I'm just curious <laughs> yeah. about this. In New York City specifically, I mean, I, I don't know how it is everywhere else, but as far as your your coalition growing there, you have people who were double jabbed, maybe got the booster. Do they have to keep up on a regular schedule in order to keep their job? Or if they just got the two originally, like they're just in forever. I mean, is this like a, oh, you're going to be fired if you don't get your booster. You're going to be fired if you don't get your booster. Um, so, because people are going to start waking up and being like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm, I'm out. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So in New York City, um, just, I mean, it, it seems like every, obviously everything in the last two years goes back to COVID. It, it's, it's almost inevitable, but um, it's like the... The, there hasn't been a booster mandate for municipal workers, um, healthcare workers. I know um, nurses were booster mandated at one point, and then it was revoked like the next, literally the, the next day or two. Um, which you know, if somebody was coerced to take a, to to make that decision, and the next day it gets reversed, how does I mean, that person feel? Right. So, they, so, they, right. They, you know, right. So basically, everybody who has kept their job has at least just only had or. You know, has had minimum. If they didn't have a booster, too. they're as vaccinated as we are, right? Who are unvaccinated, because right. I mean, actually less because we've all had COVID, and we have antibodies and immunity. And the fact that you've actually proven that you even have the antibodies—that is just it, that it just it blows my just mind. Like this is not science. Yeah. This is right. not on, on that issue. On that <laughs> issue, it's it, it may it, it's not scientific. It's political, and that's part of what we're trying to do by you know forming a national coalition across these, you know, cause like you said, like nurses had one deal, you know, it was, if you're a nurse, you have to have a booster shot until, and then the next day, oh no, you don't have to have it. If you're, I mean, if you work for the police department, then you have to have at least one shot of this type of medicine or two shots of this kind of, but, so the point is that those, it's going to take years to unravel all the insanity that's gone on the last two years. But that said, the, the, the where, where we go forward from there is organizing across those boundaries and exchanging mm -hmm. information freely and establishing our voice and our political power and also taking care of each other. 
which is what we do for the public, right? So be, right. part of being a member of the National Coalition for Frontline Workers on the nonprofit and the foundation membership side is we're going to take care of each other. And, and we're going to understand each other. So everybody, anybody listening, yeah. wherever you are, you can- Yeah, join. I know I, I've been talking a lot about New York and my own experience, but um, this isn't just about New York and, and my, obviously it's not about my experience, but the, the, so, you know, people from across the country are experiencing these kinds of issues. So the obvious next step for us, at least, was, you know, getting down to D.C. to try to get some a national presence to say, you know, and there were there were a number of rallies down there. Um, over, you know, just people are always gravitating towards our nation's capital to express dissent or support of, of anything. So it made a lot of sense that that would be a focal point as well. So our launch last week was actually very um, intentionally uh, uh, was organized in Washington, D.C., in our nation's capital, just blocks from the White House. And it, it was organized around a national call to action, which uh, I don't think we've really touched on, but maybe this would be a good time to talk about that. So our national call to action is to end the, the national state of emergency, which is yes. being reauthorized. Now, and we talked about not being nonpartisan as well. So to give people an uh, example of what that looks like, you know, the, the national state of emergency was, was an executive order signed under President Trump's administration. It's been renewed under President Biden's administration. So mm -hmm. this isn't about political party. This is about, you know, we're, we know what an emergency looks like, right? Mm -hmm. We're the ones that respond to emergencies. We know what they look like and we know how to deal with them. We've moved past the emergency stage of of this particular issue in mm -hmm. terms of uh, a long time ago, a long time ago. Yeah, I know without even I mean without even getting <laughs> at, one of the things we you know we're trying to get beyond too is you know we get caught up in this echo chamber of like you know we like I know exactly I know exactly where you're going with it with the whole which we're really trying to and it's hard sometimes it's so hard to like get beyond that in terms of like what's next and what's next is getting beyond putting this issue this emergency in our rearview mirror mm -hmm. and yet retaining the lessons learned during this um aftermath exactly. the real emergency right and part of that is getting organized together and operating across these boundaries and hanging on to that because that's what's going to prevent this from happening again that's it and that's the important part matt because there are there does seem to be sort of this I don't know what, how to exactly put words to this, but almost this, yes, we acknowledge things haven't been exactly right, but moving along, and no, right. that's not how this is actually gonna get to work. Because if we do that, we don't learn from the mistakes and they get repeated. Mm -hmm. so the only way that we prevent future mistakes, to your point, is to hold accountable the agencies and people yes. who continue to mislead or not look at science or not even run not even do testing to know the science. And we're instead laser focused on mandates and the EUA and vaccinations. That's where we do need to move forward. We need to move forward and we need to learn these lessons, but we are not moving forward without lessons learned. I will not, I know these two will not, we will not move forward until lessons are acknowledged, learned and accounted for, because that's a huge issue we have right now. It'll yeah, there are some people that are, that are trying to move on without move on. being held accountable and they are not going to be moving on. <laughs> one, of, one of the ways to to hold, I mean, if, if people, if frontline workers believe that, for example, like I believe that there was a lot of executive overreach in terms of, uh, you know, how right. our government is supposed to function and how it's been functioning. 
that's my personal belief based on my observations of you know what's going on uh, in my view. There are, I think there are a lot of frontline workers that feel the same way. Um, but so this this uh, call, national call to action is an opportunity for the people that believe that to come together and, and speak out together and say, we know what an emergency looks like. This is no longer an emergency. We can talk about what was done right and what was done wrong later in different contexts, but we're trying to focus on, let's end this national emergency. This is no longer an emergency and speak out with one voice. Uh, and we're petitioning our government to, to recognize uh, our voice through that, through that petition, through that call to action for frontline workers that feel that this is no longer an emergency. Well, I want to point people to that, Matt, because you don't have to be a front. This is also what we want to say. You don't have to be a frontline worker to join the movement. And but, but by that is to to support what these frontline workers are doing together. And I know you've started the petition on change.org. Matt, you said it might move and be housed somewhere else. But can you tell our listeners, every single listener we have, if you are against these mandates for frontline workers, where can they go? Well, you can go to change.org and look up our, our National Coalition of Frontline Workers. Um, if you have some, uh, I don't know if you're able to post the link as well for your yeah. viewers, but yeah, yeah if, uh, right now our petition, uh, which is our, our national call to action that's associated with our launch, which maybe we should talk about that a little bit too, last week in Washington, DC. But so that national call to action, like you said, can be signed by somebody who's not a frontline worker, but who supports frontline workers who are, uh, are taking this position and taking this, this action to help move uh, beyond these, uh, you know, the, the public policies that have stemmed from the national state of emergency, which is due to be uh, renewed or up for renewal in October. So we're trying to look at that timeline and say, as frontline workers, we're, we're calling all frontline workers to join our, our call to action and to end the, the end of the national state of emergency, because we feel that the public policies that we want to see change will be you know, be facilitated by that action. Well, and so here's, what, here's what people need to remember is that the criteria for emergency, a state of emergency is not being met right now. And, and when they claim that there is a, you know, that, that we're in the state of emergency, that is when they can kind of have that executive overreach. That is where they can kind of sneak in and that's where they can have these mandates on things that aren't, you know, approved, but they are authorized, okay? People have to remember that if they do not have the state of emergency, then these um, experimental injections cannot, they actually should not be right now anyway, but nothing should be mandated that's not fully approved. I mean, that's also a legal uh, issue too, but I'm just right. saying, so that's why it's so important for y'all to support them and to support this petition and to support them stopping the state of emergency because it has so, it's a ripple effect. When we stop that, that's like our first step going back to, I don't even know, I don't even want, I don't even know what normal is like, but just going back to like a real reality where people yeah. can actually think and, and we can use our rights, <laughs> get our rights back and assert them, like you said. And Matt, you well, have I mean, a 13 year old daughter, right? And so you were even I talking do. about earlier, how does this impact your 13 year old daughter? I mean, I, mean I, I think this has impacted her um, in many ways. I, first of all, I think all of the impacts are negative. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, at, least, uh, at least the initial ones. I mean, I hope there's a point in time where she can look back 
on um, you know the work that we've all come together to do, and and see you know the value in standing up for herself and her own choices, for her own body, for her own health, and for her you know her her city, her her state, her country. Um, but in the in the short term, her father's out of work for ten months because of a public policy that's been abusive to frontline workers, in my opinion. Um, I'm not able to provide for her in the ways that I'm used to providing for her. That's hard for her and for me, you know, that's, and, and this isn't, this, that shouldn't be the case, right? Because uh, this isn't just about what I want or, you know, my voice and getting out there and saying, oh, I want this to happen. This is about families. This is about uh, our communities, which are made up of families in many cases, right? Or people that interact with them, you know, but it's, this is down to the level of community uh, in terms of the negative impacts. And, you know, for example, like her schooling, like, so, you know, I made the decision uh, with her mother that we would, you know, we didn't want her in, in the school environment last year because of how crazy things were. So, you know, the, the unscientific, you know, we, we decided that we weren't going to consent to her being masked all day. We weren't going to consent to her. <laughs> and a lot of people, right. We weren't going to consent to her to her being, um, you know, I got pharmacy, you know, basically uh, pharmaceutical advertisements from her school mm -hmm. oh, yeah. telling me what she should, you know, reckon what their recommendations for my daughter's health were. I, that they're not her doctor. And I, you know, I, I, so I didn't like the way things are going in her school system. So we decided we made a difficult decision to, after a very difficult school year, right. With schools mm -hmm. being shut down in, in, uh, in 2020, so the following school year where children were really looking forward to getting back to connecting with each other and getting back to their friends and starting their new studies. Um, you know, we made a difficult decision to, to remove her from that environment because we felt that that was more harmful to her development than some of the isolation that she was going to have, unfortunately have to deal with, um, as we try fumbled our way through homeschooling. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, and also like even her homeschooling. So I actually have an interest in alternative education. I've, like I said, I, I mentioned, I, I have a background in education. I've worked in, you know, as a, an educator in a, a museum, I've worked with children before I became a first responder. Um, that's actually the, my first introduction, my first certification in CPR was as uh, working with children as an educator, not as a first responder. So in some ways that led, you know, to a lot, it's, that's a side road, but Point is, you know, it's something I care about. And a lot of first responders, or a lot of frontline workers, I'll use that term, have families very important to them and the education of their children is very important to them and upward mobility and having um, a healthy community economically. Those things are all very important to frontline workers. And New York City, in my, in my opinion, became a place where none of that was, it, it wasn't a healthy place to be. If anything, like I, I've, you know, I have to openly call it a dystopian nightmare only because I think we can, you know, we can and we'll swing it back. But um, what it started to look like was a very unhealthy place for families, for uh, neighbors, for frontline workers, for everybody. And I don't like, I didn't like the direction it was going. And, and we, you know, we're all working to change that. And but you want to so all, her, way, Matt, right? Because we, we know there was over 30,000 families that have left the New York public school systems in right. the last few years. I mean, there's been a mass exodus. It has been all in the headlines. And and that mass exodus is because of the policies. And we know this, right? So you were the healthcare workers, the police and the firefighters, right? I mean, like how many ended up like leaving or what was the number with that or the estimated? Wasn't there? 
it was, yeah, it's still tough to figure out the numbers of, you know, but there, I'll tell you right now, like I have a lot of um, friends and colleagues in the, in, the, in the police department. There's a lot of people leaving the police department. There's all, and there's, a, there's thousands still waiting determinations for reasonable accommodations based on uh, their sincerely held religious beliefs that, you know, if denied, endangers the city's uh, safety further. Uh, if those people I just don't leave. understand how this is endangering and, the city anymore. Like, how is really, that? Well, you asked about like children's safety. Like, so if people are, if police officers feel like they can't um, perform their functions as a frontline worker in that, in, in law enforcement and decide to leave a, ge a geographical place, what does that do for other frontline workers, for example, that want to stay and live there? Well, and, I, and I've had, you know, even just, um, you know, things like, um, other, you know, our, our work is all interrelated. So, you know, if law enforcement professionals can't feel like they can, um, don't, aren't motivated to stay in New York City, that becomes less safe for firefighters who are, mm -hmm. that for the firefighters that are operating in, in, you know, very, uh, you know, constantly changing environments where sometimes our safety is at risk, not from fires, from, you know, from crime. Right, right. Yeah. From, you know, dealing with, um, you know, situations that have to be handled by law enforcement. So um, for doctors and nurses that are, you know, in some cases traveling to high crime areas to perform their, their expertise at hospitals or, or healthcare facilities where maybe, um, you know, their own personal safety is of concern when they're commuting. Right. Or, or operating, you know, in, in a frontline healthcare setting like an emergency room. Sometimes, you know, people have psychiatric emergencies, people are violent. Sometimes people who are on custody on uh, law enforcement entities still need medical treatment and they're they're treated um you know in the interim so public safety affects everyone and you know affects children who walk into school um you know so this is all, everything we're talking about is all interrelated and the health of the community is at risk when we make when we have policies that aren't that are not informed by pillars of our community and frontline workers are very much pillars of our communities are y'all connected with the america's frontline nurses have y'all connected with them at all because they're they gotten really big and they would be another organization for mm -hmm. all of y'all to connect and collaborate we're with. Looking, we're looking forward to connecting. Uh, like, so we're just, we're just launching as of last week. So we're still building some of those strategic partnerships right. yeah. across other, with other organizations. Uh, we do have frontline nurses. Um, we have a uh, Kimberly Overton as a, as a member of our board. So we have, um, with, yeah. nurse, with nurse freedom network. So we have some, um, some inroads with the healthcare professions. Dr. Robert Malone, who your audience was probably familiar with, yes, uh, spoke. You know, we, we were very happy to, and honored to have him speak at our launch, organizational launch last week at the Adams, which is a beautiful hotel just blocks from the White House in our nation's capital. And his, um, his so his his remarks at our event, I would encourage everyone to you know start visiting as we develop our social media and develop our website um, to start you know checking in on what was. Uh, said at our launch event, not only our call to action, but where we're going as an organization and who and who came to speak on our behalf, including Dr. Malone. And uh, it was really about having, you know, as, as a country, we are one community and we need to get back to that. And and bipartisan organizations that are looking out for the interests of frontline workers, are, it's something that people like Dr. Malone can stand behind. Mm -hmm. That says a lot. A lot you know, of it speaks a lot to, um, so I feel very honored that we were able to, um, he was able to attend and also to be supportive of our, our, our mission and our vision. 
which everyone can look at our website and read through um, sort of how we came together and website. You know, what we your website is frontlineworkers.org, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, we invite everybody to come check out. Um, we have some information on there on our, our sort of our story of how we came together. And um, obviously a lot of the issues the last couple of years have been revolving around this, um, these mandates. But we're looking to really build from that, that sense of unity and our lessons learned from dealing with this particular public policy issue. And we're not just gonna, you know, we're not looking to just change that policy and then go on go on our separate ways. We're looking to, to keep that connection that we've built in this fight and and start to see, you know, where can we better represent frontline workers yeah. as a whole so that one, something like that never happens again. Exactly. Yeah. And two, you know, really, you know, it's an, it's it's open ended. It, there's a lot of potential for the organization. You know, how can we engage in political action more effectively to have the public policy outcomes that we need as frontline workers? How can we, uh, you know, obtain membership benefits for our workers that aren't necessarily necessarily tied to having the same job in the same in the same city or the same municipality or even in the same profession? You know, so in a small like town, insurance companies like different. It's like the whole parallel healthcare system that we need. We need like a whole parallel. When you said to insure people, things like where we've heard of like crowd health or different yeah. ones where it's like these organizations that can be insurance companies that are not tied to big pharma or aren't dependent on that, but are there to actually serve y'all. I mean, that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. I think frontline workers as a whole want more options. It yeah. Like exactly what you're talking about. Um, and also I think there's things that we haven't thought of yet and, mm -hmm. and providing a framework for people to work those ideas out together and think about where we're going to go from here. I think that yeah. that's one of the things that we're engaged in that I think is, it sets us apart. Um, or, you know, it also invites those kinds of strategic partnerships with other organizations that are trying to do the same thing. And we have a lot of overlap and we have a lot of common uh, goals. So we need to identify those and we need to all, I feel like everybody's finding each other, right? Because the yes. world's just getting smaller as we are all engaged yep. in this, well, this and, action. And Matt, I think this is important too. Um, first of all, Every frontline worker should go to the website now yes. and go go check it out and share it with your frontline worker friends. And if you know a frontline worker, share them so that they know what's out there. Matt, you said something in the beginning, though, that I do want to reiterate to our listeners. We've watched organizations become so political over time. They may have started with good intentions. The AMA comes to mind. That's been so heavily politicized. But now I mean, doctors are leading it because it's, it's not even scientific, right? They're not even following science anymore. Um, so many of these organizations we know got hijacked politically and we in 2020 really brought that to light. Would you reiterate to our listeners once again, what is this? You guys are going into this aware of that, that that can happen. So again, what is your strategy to keep the frontline workers um, alliance from, from becoming politicized one way or the another or being infiltrated by money and power, those kinds of things? Yeah, so I mean, there's a our our, our stated uh, intentions are to you know abide by core values as a foundation, which include uh, you know transparency, accountability, and professionalism. And so everything we do is going to be all of those things. And you know, um, every every member has the power of their own voice and their own vote, which is where you know. The, so the, to answer your question is. Whether or not that, I mean, obviously the intention is for that never to happen, but obviously we understand that there, in our system of government, we need checks and balances. Same thing with our organizations. 
That's right. So if, if there were ever a point at which um, something became out of balance where it needed to be checked, the mechanisms are all there in the, in the structure of the organization to make sure that never happens and to right. you know hold people accountable um, with your voice and your vote. And that's, um, that's, how the, that's how that's structured. People can take a look at the website and mm -hmm. you know, I encourage people to, to think critically and you know, we're open, we're still, we're, we just launched last week nationally, right? So there, there are a million things to do and there's, a million, there's probably a million things we haven't thought of yet. So as a member, uh, if, you read our, if you take a look at what we have, uh, what we're building and say, you know what? I see a gap, I see something that doesn't make sense to me. I'm a frontline worker um, and I, th that part seems like it could be better. So what I would say to that person is join the National Coalition of Frontline Workers, voice your, uh, you know, voice your concern mm -hmm. and make it better. Help make, help us make our organization better. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the attitude that we have um, as we launch and, you know, share, share with like, you know, share with other frontline workers and, and get, get that um, crowdsource that knowledge because you know, I might know something that could be helpful um, and you might know something that could be helpful, but when we get those, instead of just, you know, when we get those resources together, that's how the organization grows and becomes better. And that's really the intention of the organization. Um, and we, uh, we have been very explicit that we are, you know, nonpartisan. Um, that said, we are happy to accept um, the alignment and support uh, of people who may have political views. That's part of the, you know, what makes this country a great place as well. And, you know, we're uniting around, you know, structuring an organization that is gonna empower the voices of frontline workers, period. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter what political party you're from. It doesn't matter, you know, the list goes on and on. I, I'm not gonna get into, um, we intend to be a diverse organization by nature. I think our launch event was, um, was very, you know, kind of told that story. You had, you know, we had, um, you know, people that maybe, you know, maybe wouldn't be in the same room at an event, um, Normally, and I think that is a is a great uh, or, you know whatever. I'm not speaking for other organizations or people. What I'm saying is that the power of uh, of arranging this in this way around something that everybody can get behind is that you can you know cross those boundaries and and get that conversation going where people realize that people are going to realize you have more in common with mm -hmm. somebody that you disagree with than you think, and that by having conversations, constructive conversations with people that maybe you disagree with, you both end up uh, coming closer to something that looks like working together mm -hmm. instead of uh, we need more of that. we do we, we need, need a lot more of that. we've lost a lot more of that and we need the freedom to express those opinions and come to the table and talk through those things to to find the right solutions not just right. one we need, we need mechanisms to to yes. to make that happen and 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 sort of game changing organizations that are thinking of things a little bit differently i think are part of that process are part of that potential and you know, ours might not be the only one, um, but it certain we certainly intend to be uh, a national presence, and we intend to be successful, and we need your help. So we encourage everybody to visit, you know, visit our website, join the organization. Uh, if you decide not to join the organization, let us know why. Yeah, absolutely. Help us, help us make it better. Give that feedback. Well, one last question for you, Matt. Are you guys on social media for people to follow? What's the latest? We are, and we're still building that presence, but uh, but currently we are on a few platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. 
And uh, that's an ongoing conversation. Like, so we just launched last week. At, um, so we're, we're still building our, our skill set uh, and our presence social media wise, but there's already a little bit of buzz out there yeah. on social media. So uh, we encourage people to take a look and, um, you know, like, share, all that stuff that I'm yeah. not, not that great at. We liked y'all <laughs> on Facebook last yeah. night, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be liking and sharing. And <laughs> I'm so excited to get this podcast out. Yes. all we probably have a ton of frontline worker listeners uh, people yes. who know frontline workers so thank you so much for yeah thank sharing you so all much for letting us let me speak about my own experience um, locally and also our, our you know our organizational um, you know call to action organization and our goals going forward I think uh, we're, we're really excited about it and we really appreciate you you know engaging us in this conversation and uh, we look forward to seeing some of your viewers and listeners engage with us as an organization. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And if we ever come to New York again, yes. we're going to have to come say hey. Yes. You're invited. Everybody's invited. Okay. Thank Matt, you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's thank been a pleasure. So we will make sure we link everybody to where to find you guys. And certainly you Great. have our support. We can't wait to see what happens next. Yes. Great. Thanks so much. Much thank appreciated. You. Bye, you guys.